0: There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. There is a law working in us. It's the law of Spirit of life. It's life that comes into our spirit, and it overflows into our physical body. It overflows into our minds. It overflows into our emotions. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I want to read verse 7 out of the Amplified. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 8 says, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you who are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells within you. Notice that verse 8, Christ is living in you even though your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt. The Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And that's that whole thing, that our minds could feel condemned and guilty, our feelings could say we are apart from God, but it is the Spirit, in our spirit, that contradicts the attack that's in our mind. And it's in our mind and in our emotions where we are taken captive, and we doubt God, we doubt that His Spirit is moving, we doubt that He's answering our prayers, and we doubt that He is with us. But we, even though we battle this flesh, and as long as we're uh, alive in this body, we are going to have the attack in our mind we're going to have attack in our physical body and in our emotions but our strength is in our spirits Verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is working in our physical body, working in our thoughts and our minds according to the flesh. But it is the Spirit of Christ that's strengthening and beefing up our spirit and pouring into us. That's why right now, no matter what you're going through, it is the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that is taking you forward and moving you forward. I read a verse of scripture, a few verses of scripture from 2 Corinthians in our um, prayer meeting this morning. It's a familiar scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into the captivity and obedience of Christ. Again, how our mind can be assaulted. Today, you could be thinking of a problem you have and you've been praying and your mind is being assaulted by the enemy saying, God didn't hear you. God's not answering you. You are stuck with that. And that's that war that's going on. But you need to rest today in God. Because it says it is God who's doing a spiritual warfare in us to pull down those strongholds and those oppositions against us. The Bible says that our mind is assaulted by the fiery darts of the enemy, and they come to discourage us, and their real common thoughts. They have to do with what we're going through. They have to do with circumstances that we see, with diagnoses in our body, and they all oppose Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that is actively giving life to our bodies. We're alive here today, not because our heart is beating good or anything else, but the Spirit of God in our spirit. God has commanded our spirits to be in our body, and our spirits are giving life to our body. And the life of the Spirit, it comes from Jesus Christ. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes because God has declared and ordained that spirit life is in us. And so I want you to be able to just really shake off the thoughts and the attacks in your mind and the opposition to you. God is for you. And since the day Jesus Christ died and he sent the Holy Spirit back, the Holy Spirit is actively involved in drawing you to Christ and encouraging you in your faith and encouraging you against every opposition and everything that you face. That was just a little nugget. You know, last week, how many remember what what Jack's, the title of Jack's message was? Say it loud. Shout it out. Don't. 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 Don't limit God is what he said. And if we didn't hear anything else last week, I feel like his title was the most powerful title because it brings us back to that place where we realize our mind is on, on the assault by the enemy. Our mind is trying to take away from us the victory that we have in Jesus Christ and the hope that we have through no matter what we're facing that God is with us and God is determined to bring victory into our lives. And like so often, I've said this before if you've been here a while, that you can be praying about something and you can see something change. And the power of the answer doesn't always hit us because of our fleshly mind and our feelings. And because the next opposition, the next uh, negative circumstance, the next negative bit of news is on its way to hit us. And yet we can all Put down, we could start writing a list of, of the things that God has done for us and the answers he's given us. Some of you could give answers that have taken 10 years. I, I can think of an answer in my life that it took 10 years. In fact, to several answers that took 10 years for God to bring the answer to but when I got that answer, it was great that I got the answer and God answered that prayer, but I was already facing other challenges. There were other, always other oppositions. There was other negative things coming to me that I needed to pray and contend and see God move in my life. We live in a world of opposition. Satan is the God of this world, and he's got a lot of, of forces behind him that are working to agitate and irritate us Christians. But I want to encourage you today that God is, bef- is before you, and he's back of you and he's in front of you and he wants to keep encouraging you to draw in on him and to keep growing spiritually and fortify your spirit with the spirit of God and the wisdom of God and the word of God he wants to speak answers to you I hope you're getting excited I um I was thinking about this you know we've been talking about hearing God's voice you know being obedient to God's voice listening to the word understanding the word and taking in the different avenues that god speaks you know we've been going through john jesus saying my sheep hear my voice you know you must be getting tired of hearing that this verse is mark 6:23 and 24 jesus said to his disciples anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand that means ears that you hear physically what god is saying through his word and what people say to you and what the spirit of god says to you but your heart you have ears in your heart. You have a spiritual sensitivity if you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your spirit is alive and now it's hungry for God. And so there's a spiritual ability to hear from God. And sometimes as you're growing, you'll realize sometimes you hear, but you're hearing down here. It's like a knowing what God's saying to you. How many, how many have experienced that? It, it doesn't necessarily come to your natural ear, but God is speaking and he speaks to your spirit. And so God is saying we have to have ears. Jesus was telling the disciples, you got to listen. You've got to tune your ears. You've got to hear what I'm saying. In uh, verse 24 of 623, then he added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given and you will receive even more. Oh, what, a, what, a, uh, what an awesome God we have. That he, he's not out to just give you a little, little tickle, you know, just a little something and let you go. But he wants to keep pouring into you. He wants to keep building that spiritual foundation in your life. He wants to lay brick upon brick of spiritual truth inside of you so that you grow up strong in Him. So you can be who you're supposed to be in that spiritual realm. That those gifts that God has deposited in your spirit at that born-again experience, God can bring them into a place where there's fruitfulness in your life, in my life too. There are coded messages in preaching. Preaching. I love what Paul said. You know, we, if we consider all of Paul's messages only now in the context of understanding the gospel and all the letters and everything, do we appreciate Paul. In his day, they thought he was a lousy preacher, and they didn't receive what he said. But now, we're this side of, of 2,000 years past, past Paul being walk in the earth and preaching. We, as Christians, have seen the benefit of God using Paul to write down truths, of spiritual truths that cause us to be able to grow in our spiritual life. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, it is through the foolishness, it is foolishness to the natural man, the gospel. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation. That means God is continually transforming our lives through the messages of the gospel and through the the preachers that preach to you. Like I'm preaching to you today. And I'm hoping that there's going to be nuggets that you're out there like that fielder. You got your mitt out and you're ready to catch that ball. Or you're like that football player. You're ready to receive that ball into your hand so you could run for that touchdown. God wants you to be open to receive because he wants to speak truth to you. Every time we gather together as brothers and sisters, there's a word that comes. Today, people who spoke at the mic, there was a word that could come and maybe that was the only word you needed today, but you had to receive it. During World War II, there was different messages sent to the underground. Uh, and it would be like, uh, oh, the pot is full, or the light is out, or uh, John has a long mustache. There was different segmented messages, and the BBC would play every day. And the different groups who were underground were waiting through this message. And it confirmed to them it was time to go and do their uh, thing of sabotage, whatever they're going to do to stop the enemy. Well, there's coded messages when I preach. There's coded messages when the Holy Spirit is is out to, to speak to you. And he has a message for every person here. I, I pray, we pray, and our intercessors pray... That people, when they come to church, will hear what God has for them today. There's a nugget for you. There's a coded message the Holy Spirit wants to deposit in your heart today because it's a spiritual building God is doing you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to encourage your faith. He wants to build your confidence in Jesus Christ. He wants to build your confidence in trusting the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you. I'm going to read you something that uh, a person said in the 1600s, I believe. Ebenezer Blackwell... Was a rich banker and a zealous Methodist, and a great friend of the Wesleys. Are you going to hear Mr. Wesley preach? said one to Mr. Back- Blackwell. No, he answered. I'm going to hear God. I listen to him whoever preaches, otherwise, I lose all my labor. You must pray today. You must ask God to speak to you. You must not look around you or think about whatever's going on. And if you have to shut your eyes to close in with the Spirit, you must hear what God would say to you personally. You need these messages. We don't come here. I hope you don't come here just to fulfill a little obligation to God, a little religious duty. But I hope you're coming here because you're desperate to know God. You're desperate to know who Jesus has called you to be. You're desperate to be a man or woman, disciple of Christ, the follower of Jesus. It's going to get darker and darker. The Bible says, before Jesus comes, there's going to be a great falling away. People are going to be so disillusioned with Christianity, so disillusioned with the church that they're going to leave. But I tell you, God is... even now he's calling people to be followers of him so that when people start leaving when people no longer want to come and gather in church when they no longer want to hear the word of God you wherever you're going to gather maybe it's in your home or two or three people you are going to consistently pray and seek God and let God strengthen you each day of of the life that God is going to give you to live we must hear God Spurgeon said, gave a couple of different things about hearing God. He said, listen more carefully to God. He said, hear what the Word of God is saying and listen to what the Spirit says to your heart. Don't listen to things that will bring doubt about your faith in God. You know, sometimes people have a little misunderstanding about Scriptures and they can say one thing which is, which is off and it can drop a seed of doubt into your heart. Be aware. The enemy is a deceiver. And sometimes in, in our our." our inability to communicate accurately, we say the wrong thing or we hear the wrong thing. Ask God to keep your discernment sharp that you don't get deceived, that you keep tracking and building that foundation. Give attention to spiritual things. Hear what God is saying to you personally. Hear and remember the nuggets God gives you. Write them down. Man, I I have to go back sometimes and I just start looking through the dates. Sometimes I've gone long seasons where I feel like, man, I'm not hearing anything personally for myself. But oh, when you look back, sometimes it's just going back and and reviewing what God has said to you, you can encourage yourself just by realizing, man, God's been tracking with me. He's been talking to me. He's He's been laying nuggets down in my heart. And then you can track your spiritual progress and you can see how you've gone through different things. And then you see God has spoken to you and you can look back and see how you've changed. And that can encourage you for whatever you're facing right now. Whatever needs to change in your life, it is Jesus Christ. It is the Holy Spirit, the one who raised Jesus from the dead, who wants to do that next thing in your life, in my life. Spurgeon said this, a heart memory is better than a mere head memory. It were better to carry away a little of the life of God in our souls than if it were to be able to repeat every word of every sermon we ever heard. He also said, some can be content to hear all pleasant things as the promises and the mercies of God, but judgments and reproofs, threats and checks, they cannot. Oh, let's be open to hear even corrections. Let's be open to hear rebukes. Boy, when I read the the, the seven letters to the church in Revelations, I, I, I pray, last last week when I was walking to church, I was praying, oh God, oh God, let Hillside not be a church that someday you're going to rebuke. God, rebuke me now. Change me now. God, change us now if if we're not walking in truth. If we're walking in a place that's cold and it's not obedient to you, God, judge us now. I don't want to get up there and then you start reading something to me and I and I come under this place where... I've lost and, I, and I've become ineffective because I wasn't tracking with the truth and what you were saying to me. Okay, we're, again, don't, 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 don't limit God. I don't know about you, but that, I had to sit on that this week. I had to meditate on that. And then, you guys excuse me because most of you know who, me, know who I am, but uh, I, I came from, you know, my father had post-traumatic from war, fighting in World War II, and the effects of that in our family, I've just, this last year, have really begun to recognize. And I realized I didn't have a whole lot of uh, motivation in my life. You know, I told you before, we janitored, uh, and I was janitoring from a young kid at church, and, and when I, my first job was I had my own church to janitor. We janitored four churches at one time in high school. My last three years of high school, we were janitoring three churches uh, a week. And it was helping make, do our income. But in that place, I, I learned how to call on God because I was regularly going to church. And so when I was in the house of God, just vacuuming rugs or sweeping floors, I'd be praying. And I really believe it was part of my, uh, my um, seminary training. It's just praying and talking to God. But I was thinking, I just started tracking, God, how have I limited you? And a lot of times we can limit God just with our self-image about ourselves. And I had a pretty low low self-image of myself, you know, just being in a a depressed house and and living uh, in that place and not having very many expectations. And so when I got out of high school in 1970, I started working at an aerospace company as a janitor. And I started tracking something, though. For five and a quarter years, I worked as a janitor. Then something began to change in me. I started asking for something. In fact, I started looking for another job outside of my company. And when that, started, when that change started happening in me, God, I felt like God, in my just simplicity of following him, he started showing me that he was changing. He was changing the limitations I had put on myself. And I got this job opportunity at work, and I, I went into materials, and I, I worked in a company store. And I mean, I got a day job as a utility person. And I was there two weeks, and I remember praying, God, I don't want to be disrespectful, but, you know, I've been a janitor my whole life. For five and a quarter years, I was a night janitor. And is it possible? You know, here I am sweeping this floor, and i was sweeping the garage at our company. And I said, could you just give me an opportunity? As soon as I finished that prayer, my, my, boss, my new boss came in and says, hey, Bruce, we want you to see in the office at 10 o'clock. I thought, oh, what did I do wrong? They said, Bruce, you have been so faithful in our maintenance department over the years. And you've just started this job, but we want to give you an opportunity to go into materials and get a better job with more pay. I started out grade 11. I was making $3.23 an hour. I didn't have much expectation, but God began to move the limits off me. I was in materials for a year and a half. Then I went to Sunnyvale. And I took over shipping and receiving in company stores. And in the process of six months, I became lead man. And I was lead man overall shipping, and receiving in our Sunnyvale plant. And Even in that time, you know, there was more and more. God was stirring more and more desires in me. I wanted to get into transportation. I I got an opportunity to move into transportation. I I moved again. I moved into a a grade 7 pay, and I started driving. I was there for a couple years, and I wanted to be a transport operator. I got my commercial driver's license. God moved me into a grade 6 pay. And um, God just kept moving my my pay scale down, and I I just kept getting uh, moved. I tell you, if you're following God, God, there's no limits in God. There's no limits. And even in your ignorance and your inability to, to know who you are or even have dreams or vision, I think of you young people. Uh, there's, there's so many things going down. Even with a college education today, there, there seems like there's, the doors are shut. But I tell you, God. There's no limits. Don't limit him even in your circumstances. Don't limit him in your understanding. Just keep serving him and following him and worshiping him. He's going to open doors. In this time, when the doors are shut, God is going to open doors. God is going to make a way for you. There is a future. There is a hope. No matter what the economists say, no matter what the politicians say, God's economy and God's kingdom is not limited by this world. And I say there's a spirit of discouragement because we know what's happening tomorrow. Our our leaders and stuff are saying, oh, 212 is going to be even worse. Even some of the religious people are pro- prophesying gloom and doom. I tell you, our hope is in Jesus Christ. And we cannot live in gloom and doom. We cannot live in the negative prophetic about tomorrow. Jesus himself said, do not worry about tomorrow because tomorrow is going to take care of the things of itself. There's enough evil happening tomorrow. But if you dwell on it, it's going to limit your faith. It's going to limit your belief that God is has something for you me. Even in the middle of of, uh, neglect and poverty, you have to believe and trust that God is going to meet your needs every day, no matter what what it is. Or relationships. Maybe you've been burnt in relationship. Don't rush out into another relationship. Wait on God. Wait on God for that person. If you've been betrayed, someone else, Satan has another betrayer that he's going to send your way. He knows. He wants to continue to hurt you and damage you. But I tell you, God has the best for you. If you wait on him, it says those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. Why? Because they take a different path. They see with the eagle's eye. They see out over, over the mess and over the, over the garbage and over all the deception that the enemy's trying to offer us. And all the things he's trying to make us make decisions on our own. And he knows when we make that wrong decision, then automatically he turns and he blames God, just like he always did. And he tries to destroy our faith. But God has great things for us. Now I think we'll start our message. Our key verse today is John 11, 21 through 23. I love, here it's Christmas time, we're talking about resurrection today. The Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. What an incredible statement of faith. Her brother is dead. And she makes this this proclamation because she knows who Jesus is. You have to know who Jesus is today in your situation. And whatever you're facing, whatever has died in your life, whatever opposition you're facing, you have to have that same faith that has been given to us. When you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, a measure of faith has been given to you. It's that same measure of faith that Mary and Martha had. Oh, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have died. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I know whatever you ask God, he's going to give it to you. We're going to start John 11. Starting with verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who had anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. You could always check the story out too in uh, Matthew 26 7. It talks about this experience that Mary had. Obviously, Mary had this incredible heart God had been drawing her. And so when she comes to Jesus and she pours that oil and she wipes her hair, there's such a brokenness of her heart that represented in that oil. There was such a need to connect with her Jesus. Who knows what brokenness? The Bible doesn't say what brokenness she had experienced in her life. But she came to that place where she found the Messiah. She, she found her Lord. She found that place that only Jesus could fill. And it connected her spirit to his spirit. It connected her soul hunger with, with the soul hunger he could fill. And here she is just pouring out her heart. And automatically, there's a deep connection with her and Jesus. Also, uh, Jesus mentioned, too, that he who loves much, or he who is forgiven much, loves much. And obviously, when you realize the depths of sin that God has forgiven us, man, you just get so grateful for who Jesus is for how he washes us and clears away our sin and even helps us renew our mind and we can walk fresh and clean again. If you're here today, you don't need to leave feeling condemned. You don't need to leave feeling like you're in sin or or tormented in your mind. The Holy Spirit wants to lift you up again and let you know you are washed by my blood. You are cleansed and I love you and I want to have fellowship with you. You're not dirty. You're not too dirty for me. And if you have areas that you feel like need to be cleansed and changed, it is the Holy Spirit will, which will transform your life. You know, Jesus is at a really different time in his life. He knows he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's hanging out with his friends. In, in this season where, you know, it's talking about friends, Jesus had the, had the place in his own soul where he opened up to these three people. Let's go to John eleven four when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he said, "This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it." I think of um, John nine when we read John nine one through five the story of the blind man. remember that that story was kind of parallels this one because it says that the blind man, who was bl- born blind from birth, it says that he had this condition, but it was for the glory of God. And I clarified this when I went in over that. But it's the same thing with with why Lazarus is sick. It's not saying that word is not saying that Lazarus God made Lazarus die, or He made the blind man uh, blind so that He could give glory. The fact that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy sickness and disease was operating. The death process is, has been operating since Genesis. When God warned them in the day they ate the fruit that death would come, he warned them they opened the door with death when they, when they disobeyed God and ate that forbidden fruit. In their quest for knowledge, they died. They, brought, they died spiritually and they brought physical death. And we've been, we've been dealing with it since day one. But Jesus is about to do a miracle for Lazarus. He's about to show his power over death and everything death represents. And he's talking about the glory of God. And how many times in our lives do we see glimpses of God's glory because of the answers and the things that God does for us, because of the processes of death and destruction that we go through, whether it's relationships or or physical death. And I know there's enough people in, in, in this church that have lost someone tragically, horribly, and how death is an incredible sting. But God here comes today, just like he came back then, to bring a spirit of encouragement on us. That no matter what we go through, no matter what losses we face, that God is going to bring us out of that loss. God is going to bring us, we're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, and we're going to come out of the valley of the shadow of death, and there's going to be joy that's returned to God's people. That God is a God who comforts us in these times when we go through these things. So there is glory for us in our losses. In those tragedies, in those things that are setbacks, things that try to define us and try to steal our faith, those things that try to tell us God doesn't care about us, He doesn't concern with us, He doesn't know the pain I'm going through, and He doesn't care that I'm hurting. Those are lies. But in those places where we feel like that, you need to begin to look and ask like Mary did. Ask for Jesus. Have your faith in him, even depending on what he's already done for you, because the glory of God is still going to be manifested to you. God is uniquely using everything you go through to bring his glory into your life and to show you that he is going to bring triumph out of anything the enemy is trying to do to destroy your faith and your joy and your outlook, your hope, your dreams. Verse 5. Now the Lord loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, it's interesting that he makes such a declaration. We know that God loves the world and God loves us. But Jesus himself, there's not a whole lot of places where he says that personally. It says that, that, that guy who, um, the rich young ruler who had the opportunity to become a follower and he walked off. And when memory turned away, Jesus said, it said, behold, how he loved him. In this place, he calls Lazarus a friend. And it's something so much uh, deeper uh, then, then we really understand because Jesus, in his humanness, he connected with Lazarus and, Le- and Mary and Martha. Verse 6 says, So when he, Jesus, heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Wow, it could get us thinking, why didn't he respond? There was something about Jesus. Remember, he's all God, and he knows everything. And remember when he was calling his disciples, remember he saw Nathaniel prophetically before he ever talked to him, and he had seen him under this tree. And when he met Nathaniel and he called him, he, he recalled that he had seen him under the tree. And actually, I guess it clicked with Nathaniel where, yeah, I was under that tree. And it showed that he had those prophetic, all knowing um, capabilities like God. And so Jesus knew Lazarus' condition, he knew Lazarus was going to die. And he's staying two more days in this place. The commentators say that really, it wasn't that Jesus stayed on purpose, but they're figuring the time it took for the the one who were bringing the message to come and find Jesus, that in that day's travel, and Jesus getting there, that it was already, Lazarus was already dead. Like as soon as the messengers were on their way, Lazarus probably died. And so Jesus knows all this that's going on, but he's working a plan. What are you facing right now? God is working a plan for you. God is working something in your life. I can remember being so depressed, getting out of high school, really wanting to get a job, and I remember those six years, I mean, those six months of just looking for a job, closing doors, getting applying, applying, going out, almost every day applying, everywhere applying, applying when I got hired, I remember that call. It was just after Thanksgiving in, in um, November of 1970. I remember they said, come on in. And in fact, the place I went in for, that, were, that I went in for an interview, I remember when I went there, I remember walking out the door and saying, they're never going to call me. Because I had gone through so many interviews and I'd, I had so many doors slammed in my face. But I walked out of this place, I said, they're never going to call me. Again, my natural thinking. Here it is, you know, Six months later, I almost like say, God, where else can I apply? They call me. I went for my interview. I got hired. That that limitation that we put on our own understanding and our own experiences, God has a smile on his face. He's about ready. He's like Santa Claus. He's about ready to give you the desires of your heart. I'm so glad for, for Santa Claus. Really, it's that image of Jesus wanting to give you the desires of your heart. Him knowing your heart more than ever, more than anyone else, and knowing what's going to fulfill, what's going to really satisfy it. Jesus emphasizing again of his love for friends in uh, verse 7. Then after this, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. You know that light of the world? You know what that was? Jesus' ordained three and a half years of ministry. That was the day. That was the daylight for him. He was walking in that. The night that was coming was his crucifixion where he would stop his work. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that he may awake, I may awake him out of sleep. Again, that, that meaning of a friend, that one who he is affectionate with. He has emotion. He has a, a relational connection with. I think it's something that really is lacking today in the world and even sometimes in our, in our body, in the body of Christ. Because we've experienced so many traumatic things and rejections and different things with people, it's hard for us to really open up because of the fears and things going on, because of divorce and all the things that you've experienced and that you hear of around you, there's a tendency for us to keep a guard over our hearts. But there was an incredible connectedness Jesus had. He was relationally connected. It's something I'm always working at, you know, dealing with uh, what I came out of and post-traumatic in my family and dealing how to really connect more and more. It's something I constantly pray about. It's constantly something I have to work at. And that's that thing I believe the Holy Spirit's trying to do in these last days. I really believe the love of God is going to shine. That the church is going to be more loving and accepting and more incredibly open and believing in people than ever before. And yet it seems like uh, the enemy tries to use people and circumstances to slam the heart's door of love in our hearts away from people. But Jesus, he knew how to connect. And it's that Jesus who we have to help us connect. Jesus also said in John fifteen fourteen that if we do Jesus' commands, we are his friends. Do you know we're called to be his friends? We are called into that intimate place of relationship. And so if you feel like, man, I've been kind of bummed out here with the friends I've had lately, or maybe you felt friends have left you or rejected you, get excited because Jesus wants to be your best friend. He wants to be your closest friend. And out of that friendship that you're developing with Jesus, the healing of relationships and the ability to have more relationships and really deep friendships is going to happen. Verse 12, or, um, yeah, verse 12. Then his disciples said, Lord, if Lazarus sleeps, he he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to him plainly, Lazarus is dead. Isn't it interesting that even Jesus in his communication, these guys have been walking with him almost three and a half years, even they at times did not understand what, what seemed to be clear communication. And, and since we've been talking about hearing God's voice and listening to him, I really think it's great how Jesus clarifies himself to us. And you know, if you're ever in confusion or if you're ever in any kind of doubt, you can go and just take a few minutes and say, Jesus, hey, I got so many things spinning around in my head. I have so many different options. I even feel like my heart is leaning a certain way, but I don't know if, if my heart is, is truly tracking with your will that you can ask And you can ask God for wisdom. You can ask that you can hear clearly what he's saying, and Jesus is going to clarify to us what he's really saying so that we can, again, keep stepping into the the right things. In verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Every time we believe, we have an opportunity to dispel those God limits that so easily press in on us, nevertheless, let us go to him. then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, "Let us also go that we may die with him." Here we get an, in, an insight to Thomas's incredible personality. You might say, Thomas was dense, duh, you know he's not getting it, and he's the one later when everyone sees jesus and they're all knowing he's rose from the dead. Thomas goes, hey, unless I can put my finger in, in his side and, you know, see the, the nail holes in his hands, I'm not going to believe. So you see uh, that Thomas is just really right there. Jesus has to say, okay, Thomas, he's dead. You know, Lazarus is dead. And it's so awesome that Jesus, like, I don't know about you, but sometimes you get like a little bit, uh, like, short with people around you who aren't hearing what you say. Do you roll your eyes? Uh, Do you go, duh, you know? I do all that stuff, you know? And it's simple how how Jesus, he knows our quirks and he knows those places where we're just human, but he clarifies the message to us. Let's go into the resurrection. John 11, 17 through 27. Resurrection means a stand up again, a restoration of, of life, visitation from the dead, rising from the dead. And it, it applies to physical death. It applies to the losses. It applies to um, the seasons that we go through, uh, the places where it seems like everything dies. You know those seasons where you feel like you're stripped of everything you once had, your personality, your, your hopes, your dreams. Uh, you know, you're just affected, and you wonder if you're ever going to come alive again. Like the trees in winter when there's just all nubs and then you see the, the gardeners prune them, and wow, oh, you think, how is this thing ever going to come back? I always like looking at the mulberry trees, and they prune them back to just a nub. But then in the next season of spring, they're just loaded. They're just loaded with growth again. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. So Jesus' death, you know, Jesus really, his delay we know, did not really prevent that death. Now, Bethany, let me say something else about four days, because it's really important about this story and what Jesus was doing. The Jews had a tradition, like they had this weird belief system that they believed when a person died, their, bo- their spirit, their soul hovered around their body for at least three days. And then finding there was you know, nothing it could come back into, it would go off. But so Jesus was actually blowing away their superstitious beliefs by allowing the four-day process to happen where, okay, Lazarus, now you are really dead and you're starting to stink. You know, he, Jesus, in the wisdom he had, he pushed past belief systems that locked people into uh, missing out on what he was going to say. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to the Lord Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. I hate to say this, Christians. Things happen. Things that we don't like happen. Things that we can't explain happen. And we're left with this big old... Question mark inside of our heart and sometimes we go through seasons that are so painful I know Dory and I have gone through some different seasons together in wondering why Why did this happen? Why why did that happen? Why didn't this work out? Why didn't that work out? When we came down to Hollister, we had such faith that every person that came into the church was going to accept Christ That every person every leader with a call in them were going to abandon everything to pursue that call we were disillusioned over the, after about six or seven years. Things aren't always happening like you think. And so God understands how we think and how we feel. Again, the girls are both saying, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's Martha in verse 22. But now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Wow. Did you realize right here in John 11, Jesus is throwing out a new spiritual foundation nugget. He was declaring I am the resurrection. All they knew was death. You know, they, they might have vi- seen a few of the people he raised, but Jesus now declared that he is the I am. Remember John talks about the I am, I am the life. He was making that statement that I am God. And it started throwing those Jews around. It started throwing them into that place of what is this guy saying? He's saying he's God but he's about to show them his power over death. He's about to show them that this new nugget, this new foundational truth, that he was going to back it up by showing his glory and by letting them experience seeing someone rise from the dead. And whoever, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? You know, all the way through in the Amplified Bible, every time you see Believe. It means to adhere to, trust in, and rely on God. Adhere to, trust in, and rely. Why are those words there? Because our natural mind is subject to doubting. It's connected to this world. It's anti-faith. It's anti-God. It's anti-prayer. If I could tell you guys... Those of you who are married, if you will start praying with your spouse, you will see a dynamic change in your life, in your family, in your marriage, in the things that you face. The Bible says in Peter that when a husband and wife come in agreement and prayer and pray, that there's something that's magnified in their prayer that breaks through and, and brings answers. You young people, you people who are single, if you will find someone you can trust and begin to pray about those things that are concerning with you, you will see the miracles and the glory of God. God wants to get things to you, but he has a a delivery system and prayer is a big delivery system and you see it even worked out in in these scriptures that we're reading. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, "Yes, Lord, I believe." that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. He is the Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Word in John 1, made flesh. Do you have some deaths in your life? Have some things died? Stop looking at whatever has died. That's a limit. Look at what's life. And maybe Jesus is the only one in faith you can lift your eyes to. Start looking at him. I think there comes a place in our life when we have to stop looking at death because it's just death and it's not going to change. But we need to start looking to who has life and it's the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus who's living in us, who's revealing truth to us and bringing new life to us every day. Ask for life. Ask God to let you see future possibilities. Are you dead? If you're not then, dead. I'm assuming no one's dead here today you need to get excited resurrection is for you the holy spirit is here today for our resurrection john 11:28 and when she had said these things she went her way and secretly called mary her sister saying the teacher has come and is calling for you as soon as she heard that she arose quickly and came to him think of it and There is something Mary already had this connection with Jesus. Jesus is here, boom, forget this morning thing. Forget the death thing. I'm heading for Jesus. There is hope, there is life in Jesus. When you get up in the morning and all the problems start running through your, your tape machine up there, your CD player, your iPod, your pad, whatever it is, Start calling on Jesus. Start moving towards Jesus in your prayer life. Start moving into the one who's going to have answers for you. Start moving into that person who can give you the wisdom that you need for the day. She rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out followed her, saying, she's going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, sounds like a repeat here, doesn't it? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Look at that desperation. Look at that putting it on Jesus' doorstep. Hey, you have the power. If you'd have been here, if you'd have been, I don't think she said it really nice. Either. Hey, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. That desperation, that desperation that we, you know, so often we just get really passive. But when do we get desperate? When do we begin to cry out to God? When do we get in God's face? And you know, and I'm not talking about being disrespectful, but somehow we need to shake off sometimes our unbelief and our anger and our disappointment in God. And, and in that place of meeting God face to face, even if he's not going to change something, he changes our attitude. He changes our pointing of the finger at him. But there's something that happens when we get out of our niceness and we start calling on God. We cry out to God. Verse 33, Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. You know, people are always trying to figure out, what was he doing? We know he was going to raise Lazarus, so He wasn't all weepy over him. I think he groaned because people had such unbelief. He had done so many miracles. And again, he's trying to go past our human thinking. We're so connected in this life, we're not thinking spiritually. And I can see him groaning. Oh, brother, you ever groan when you're with your family and they're not getting it? (sighs) He groaned in the spirit, he was troubled. He knows he's going to go to the cross. He's going to die. And I'm sure even the attack against his mind is all this. I'm sure the enemy is saying, is this really worth it? Look at They're not buying in. They don't believe you. You know, and that agony of all he's paying for, all that he's done, all the demonstrations he he showed them, and he's going to go to the cross and die for them. And I'm thinking he's saying, won't they grasp it? You know those times he got mad at his disciples toward the end where, They weren't using the faith that he'd given them. And he got mad. He got mad at them because they weren't grasping it. He knew his time was getting shorter and shorter. And so the desperateness in his spirit was, won't they grab hold? Won't they grab hold to what faith can do? And he said to them, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Matthew Henry wrote, here was Martha's house. A house where the fear of God was, and on which his blessings rested, yet made a house of mourning. Grace will keep sorrow from the heart, not from the house. In this world, Jesus said, we're going to have tribulations. We're going to have those setbacks. We're going to have deaths hit us at times when we don't expect it. But our heart is to be preserved in the process and protected in the process that we would hope again, that again, grief and loss and mourning would be lifted off of our soul and our experience. Verse 36, Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38, Then Jesus again groaned in himself. He came to the tomb. It was a grave grave. And a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Okay, here Jesus is moving. I- I'm thinking, they know Jesus, they love Jesus. I'm thinking, are they tracking yet? Are they tracking with this? Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is stench, for he has been dead four days. Again, Martha, with all this call to believe in faith, again, she's thinking, he stinks. He's been dead. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stones from the place where the dead man was lying. And here's a prayer Jesus starts praying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who stand by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Matthew Henry wrote, promise salvations, though they always come surely, yet often come slowly. God is going to answer. Will you stand with me?